Welcome to the Faith Life Fellowship Podcast with Dr. Scott Forrest. In today's message, Dr. Forrest asks us, what will your answer be? Hallelujah. What will your answer be? What will your answer be? When tough times hit, as they inevitably will, when challenges arise, sometimes when all hope seems lost, what you answer in response is critical. In fact, many times we know from the Bible how you answer these challenges to your faith can mean the difference between life and death. Proverbs 18.21 in the King James Version, I'm sure you've heard this before. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. Amen. Did you hear that? Let me read that to you again. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. I want to read it to you in the Amplified. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it and indulge it will eat its fruit and bear the consequences of their words. Whoa. That's a little more somber. Let's read it in the New Century Version. What you say can mean life or death. Those who speak with care will be rewarded. So I think the meaning of this verse, no matter what translation you prefer, is clear. If death and life are in the power of our tongue, we need to be careful with our words, especially during times of crisis. Proverbs 15, verse 28 in the New Living Translation. The heart of the godly thinks carefully before speaking. The mouth of the wicked overflows with evil words. Think before you speak. Amen? Give a measured response when you're confronted. Because what you say can either produce life or death. Amen? I know this seems kind of heavy here. I'm hitting you pretty hard at first, but you'll be rejoicing by the time I'm done. Amen. Proverbs 15:23 in the King James Version says, A man hath joy by the answer of his mouth. And a word spoken in due season, how good is it? In the International Standard Version, it goes like this. An appropriate answer brings joy to a person, and a well-timed word is a good thing. Now I want to read it to you in the NIRV, the nerve. Pastor, you got some nerve reading that translation. <laughs> it's the New International Reader's Version. Joy is found in giving the right answer. And how good is a word spoken at the right time? Amen. Glory to God. So I ask you rhetorically, once again, when tough times hit, when challenges arise, when all hope seems lost, what will your answer be? Will it be a word spoken in due season? Will it be an appropriate, well-timed answer? Will it be the right answer at the right time? Will it be an answer of faith or will it be an answer of doubt and fear? With your words, will you set the stage for God to deliver and to save 
or will you open the door for the enemy to steal, kill, and destroy in your life? John 10.10, Jesus said, The thief cometh not but for to steal, and to kill, and to destroy. I am come that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. Isn't that awesome? You can boil theology down to some pretty simple concepts here. God good, devil bad. Amen? If it's stealing, killing, or destroying, it's not coming from God. If it's bringing you life and life more abundantly, it's coming from God the Father through Jesus Christ our Lord. Hallelujah. Glory to God. You know, that sounds simple, but there's a lot of people that have some mix-up ideas about, well, maybe God's trying to teach me something. If it's stealing, killing, destroying, it's coming from the devil, and you need to resist it. The Bible says, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Amen? If you just have a K-sarah-sarah attitude, whatever will be will be, the devil will steamroll you. Amen? So don't be that way. Know when to rise up. Know when to resist. All right. Hallelujah. I want to share a story that's one of my favorite stories in all the Bible, a story that I believe is one of the prime examples of what I'm trying to convey to you this morning. It's the story of Elisha and the woman from Shunem. The King James calls her the Shunammite woman. 2 Kings chapter 4. Now, it's a fairly lengthy passage, but I'm not going to cheat you by leaving any of it out because it's just so rich. It's just so full of revelation. It's just such a wonderful picture of the love of God for his people. You got to hear the whole story. Amen. So I'm going to read the whole passage. Remember, we said before, just treat it as story time with Dr. Scott. And I'll occasionally interject my thoughts as we go along. Amen. 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 8 through 37 in the New Living Translation. One day, Elisha went to the town of Shunem. A wealthy woman lived there, and she urged him to come to her home for a meal. After that, whenever he passed that way, he would stop there for something to eat. She said to her husband, I am sure this man who stops in from time to time is a holy man of God. Let's build a small room for him on the roof and furnish it with a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp. Then he will have a place to stay whenever he comes by. One day, Elisha returned to Shunem, and he went up to this upper room to rest. Amen. He said to his servant Gehazi, Tell the woman from Shunem, I want to speak to her. When she appeared, Elisha said to Gehazi, Tell her, We appreciate the kind concern you have shown us. What can we do for you? Can we put in a good word for you to the king or to the commander of the army? No, she replied, My family takes good care of me. Later, Elisha asked Gehazi, What can we do for her? Gehazi replied, she doesn't have a son, and her husband is an old man. Although she was a wealthy woman, she was evidently married to a man who was much older than her, 
That was very common in those days. The chances of her getting pregnant were slim. Not having an heir to this great wealth of theirs was something that evidently weighed heavily on her heart and on her mind. So much so that Gehazi, Elisha's servant, picked up on it pretty quickly. She no doubt hoped in her heart of hearts that God would somehow grant her a son, someone who could take care of her after her husband had passed on. To this woman, the hope of a son was the hope of a secure future for her. Verse 15, call her back again, Elisha told him. When the woman returned, Elisha said to her as she stood in the doorway, Next year, at this time, you will be holding a son in your arms. No, my Lord, she cried. Oh, man of God, don't deceive me and get my hopes up like that. Now, some of you women in here know what she meant by that. Although you might have said it like this. Don't you be lying to me, man of God. This means way too much for me for you to be kidding around. I got to know you're serious when you say I'm going to have a son. That's what she meant. Verse 17. But sure enough, the woman soon became pregnant. And at that time, the following year, she had a son, just as Elisha had said. One day, when her child was older, he went out to help his father, who was working with the harvesters. Suddenly, he cried out, My head hurts. My head hurts. His father said to one of the servants, Carry him home to his mother. So the servant took him home, and his mother held him on her lap, but around noontime he died. It sounds to me like the boy had an aneurysm that ended up killing him. And that was something that the ancient Israelites didn't have a lot of knowledge about. Amen? So to them, he had a headache, and he just died, and they had no reason why. Very, very sad. I read this story and it brings me to tears. The thought of this woman having her baby on her lap, trying to comfort her baby, trying to soothe the pain any way she can, and then her son dies in her lap. How tragic, how sad, how heartbreaking for her. Verse 21, she carried him up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, then shut the door and left him there. She sent a message to her husband. Send one of the servants and a donkey so that I can hurry to the man of God and come right back. Why go today, he asked. It is neither a new moon festival nor a Sabbath. But she said, it will be all right. At this point, the woman was presented with her first opportunity to speak an appropriate word, to speak a word in due season, to say the right thing, at the right time. And at the time of extreme crisis in her life, when all hope seemed lost, when her boy was dead, her answer was, it will be all right. Don't you know what kind of inner strength it took for her to say that? Knowing that she left her son dead on Elisha's bed? It will be all right, husband. I need a donkey. I need some transportation. So she saddled the donkey and said to the servant, hurry, don't slow down unless I tell you to. In other words, let's get it. Let's set the donkey world record from Shunem to Mount Carmel. Okay. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. 
Praise the Lord. Made myself laugh and I lost track here. So evidently, a servant with a donkey was delivered to the woman pretty quickly, and they were off on their journey from Shunem to Mount Carmel, where the prophet Elisha lived. Now, just so you know, I checked it out. It's a 30-mile trip from Shunem to Mount Carmel. And even today in modern Israel, if you take Route 672 from Shunem to Mount Carmel, it's a 30-mile car ride. You got to know back then they didn't have roads like they do today. So this was a bumpy, dusty, arduous donkey trip from Shunem to Mount Carmel. And the lady said, make this donkey go as fast as he can go. Amen. Hallelujah. Whoo! praise the Lord. As she approached the man of God at Mount Carmel, Elisha saw her in the distance He said to Gehazi, look, the woman from Shunem is coming. Run out to meet her and ask her. Now listen to this. This is important. Run out to meet her and ask her, is everything all right with you, your husband and your child? The King James says, is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with your son? Amen. Three questions. Now, here again, the woman was presented with an opportunity to speak an appropriate word, to speak a word in due season, to say the right thing at the right time. And not just in answer to one question, but in answer to three questions. Is everything all right with you? Is everything all right with your husband? Is everything all right with your child? And once again, at a time of extreme crisis in her life, when all hope seemed lost, When her son had been dead, by my calculations, anywhere from eight to ten hours. She answered those questions like this. Everything is fine. It's going to be all right. That's some internal fortitude. Knowing your boy is laying dead on Elisha's bed 30 miles behind you. Amen. Now listen. Think about this. This blesses me. This woman wasn't spirit-filled. This woman wasn't born again. She didn't have any of the advantages we have. She didn't have the Word of God like we have. If she could say, under the most arduous, extreme crisis in her life, if she could say, it's going to be all right, everything is fine, how much more should we, as born-again, spirit-filled children of God, say the same thing when crisis hits our lives? It's going to be all right. I know it looks bad, but it's going to be just fine. One of my daughters used to call me all the time, overwhelmed with life. She said, Dad, what do I do when it seems like everything's coming at me from every angle and I'm just going to be steamrolled? What do I do? I don't even know how to pray. I said, listen, first of all, pray in tongues. But when you get to the point where you got to speak English, If you can't think of anything else to say, say this. Thank you, Lord. You're going to take care of me and everything is going to be all right. And if you'll say that to yourself, you will calm your nerves. You'll bring peace to your soul and you will charge the atmosphere around you with faith, not doubt and fear. This is not just something some ancient woman could practice. We can do it today. 
Amen. We need to live our lives where we choose our words wisely. We choose to speak life. Amen. And watch God move and watch things happen. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So she said, everything is fine. Verse 27. But when she came to the man of God at the mountain, she fell to the ground before him and caught hold of his feet. Gehazi began to push her away. But the man of God said, leave her alone. She is deeply troubled. But the Lord has not told me what it is. Then she said, did I ask you for a son, my Lord? And didn't I say, don't deceive me and get my hopes up? Let me paraphrase what I think she was saying here. You made a promise to me, man of God. You promised me a son. And as a prophet, you represent God Almighty to me. And I don't believe God gave me a son just to let him die in my arms as a young boy. That's what she was saying. That boy is my hope. That boy is my future. Then Elisha said to Gehazi, get ready to travel. Take my staff and go. Don't talk to anyone along the way. Go quickly and lay the staff on the child's face. But the boy's mother said, as surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I won't go home unless you go home with me. So Elisha returned with her. Listen, you're not just going to send your messenger. You're coming with me. This woman was not going to be denied. Gehazi hurried on ahead and laid the staff on the child's face, but nothing happened. There was no sign of life. He returned to meet Elijah and told him, the child is still dead. That's a funny phrase, isn't it? He's still dead. That makes me think that putting the staff on that child was supposed to have some kind of result. And he came back, the child is, I did what you said, but the child is still dead. When Elisha arrived, the child was indeed dead, lying there on the prophet's bed. Elisha shut the door behind him and prayed to the Lord. Then I believe in response to what he heard from the Lord. Verse 34, then he lay down on the child's body, placing his mouth on the child's mouth, his eyes on the child's eyes, and his hands on the child's hands. And as he stretched out on him, the child's body began to grow warm again. Glory. Elisha got up, walked back and forth across the room once, and then stretched himself out again on the child. This time the boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. Amen. Then Elijah summoned Gehazi, call the child's mother, he said. And when she came in, Elijah said, here, take your son. She fell at his feet and bowed before him, overwhelmed with gratitude. Then she took her son in her arms and carried him downstairs. Amen. What a wonderful story. Now, I know it's not immediately obvious, but I want to point something out to you concerning the passage that we just read. Four times the woman was given an opportunity to answer questions concerning the death of her son. Why was she going to see the prophet? Was everything all right with her? Was everything all right with her husband? Was everything all right with her son? Each time 
Even though her son was already dead when she was asked these questions, the answer was always the same. It will be all right. Everything is fine. Now I want to preface this next part with a reminder. Elijah had been granted, as you guys well know, a double portion of the anointing that his predecessor Elijah had. In fact, if you study your Bible, there was enough anointing resonant on the bones of Elisha when he was in the tomb long after he had died to raise another man from the dead. That's 2 Kings 13.21 if you want to check it out. Which illustrates a curious fact to me about the anointing, which is another way of saying the power and presence of God. The anointing is tangible and it is transferable. Acts chapter 19, verse 11 and 12, it says, God did special miracles by the hands of Paul. They took handkerchiefs and placed them on his body, which was anointed. And that anointing was transferred to those handkerchiefs. And then they took them to sick people and they were healed and demon possessed and the devils came out. Now, listen, I do not understand it, how that works, but I believe it. Amen. If if his bones were anointed and they the Bible says in second Kings there, they were executing a, a burial detail and they spotted the enemy and they had time to put him down the closest sepulcher. I don't even think they knew that it was the sepulcher of Elisha. But the Bible says when they lowered him down into that tomb and he touched the bones of Elisha, he came to life again. That is weird and that is wonderful all at the same time. But it's true. It's Bible. The anointing is tangible. It can be felt. It can be experienced. It's also transferable from one person to another and sometimes from one person it can go to an inanimate object and then be transferred to another live human being amen so four times she said it's going to be all right everything is fine and then four times the anointing was applied to the body of that boy first of all the woman put her dead son on the bed of elisha on the sheets that he slept on and there was anointing resonant on that bed. Then Gehazi took his staff, which he held all the time, and he put the staff on there, another application of the anointing. And then finally, in response to direction from the Holy Spirit, Elisha spread himself on the baby boy and then got back up and then did it again. And that was four applications of the anointing, enough to bring that child back from the dead four times she spoke positive things it is well it's going to be all right it is fine and four times the anointing was released to bring her the answer that she was standing for amen glory to god hallelujah now i've read this story many times but i never made that connection i've never heard anybody else preach on it Okay. If you have, I'd love to hear about it afterwards. But this is the first time I've heard anybody preach on this in this way. Amen. So what can we learn from this story? I don't think it was a coincidence. Four right answers, four applications of the anointing. I think it's a powerful type of what can happen when we determine that we will use the power of our tongue wisely, that we will be careful with our words. Amen. 
When we speak words of life, words that line up with God's word and God's promises, the anointing is released into whatever challenges we're facing. Amen. I don't know about you, but I feel the anointing on that. When we speak words of death, we open the door for the enemy to bring death and destruction into our lives. So I ask you again, rhetorically, one more time, when tough times hit, when challenges arise, when all hope seems lost, what will your answer be? Will it be a word spoken in due season? Will it be an appropriate, well-timed answer? Will it be the right answer at the right time? Will it be an answer of faith? Or will it be an answer of doubt and fear? With your words, will you set the stage for God to deliver and to save? Or will you open the door for the enemy to steal, kill, and destroy in your life? It's entirely up to you. Amen? Amen. We hope you enjoyed Dr. Forrest's teaching, What Will Your Answer Be? If you are in the Wilmington area, and are looking for a place to worship, come join us on Sunday at 10 a.m. for coffee and fellowship, 10.30 for worship and service, and on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. for spirit-filled prayer. If you'd like to learn more about us, access more of Dr. Forrest's teachings, and find Dr. Forrest's in-depth teaching notes, visit our website at gofaithlife.com. Also, visit and like our Facebook page at Faith Life Wilmington.